The rest of you can open up to 2 Peter chapter 1. That's where we'll be this morning. Hello, old friends. There's really nothing new to say. But the old, old story bears repeating, and the plain old truth grows dearer every day. That's a lyric from a guy by the name of Rich Mullins, and he opened a, an album with that line. What I love about that is this, that he understood, he, he sung over and over and over about the love of God for sinners. He just wouldn't leave it alone. What he understood was he didn't need to come up with new ideas all of the time or be profound and cute, although he was pretty profound at times. But he just kept hashing over some dear truths that as his life went on, became dearer to him. I track with that. And this morning is a call to remember. The, the section of Scripture that we're in is, is just a reminder And I think for almost everyone in this room, much of what is said this morning won't be new, and that's okay. But for all of us present, what's being said is vital. Last week, Ben challenged us to supplement our faith with, among other things, knowledge. We talked as a men's group about how are we doing at growing ourselves in knowledge of the Scriptures? What what are we doing to feed ourselves? And... um, you know, as we look into the scriptures, we, we realize that it's, it's challenging to draw out truth from the scripture. In fact, as the passage said last week, it requires every effort that we would do this. We study the scriptures to find truth that is already there versus trying to support truth that we've supplied on our own. And that requires diligence, doesn't it? It requires discipline. That we don't just come with our preconceived ideas and kind of try to shoehorn those and say, I hope the Bible supports this. Um, if you think about studying Scripture, it's a little bit like a, like a miner. Mining for gold. And, and sometimes you really have to dig and dig and dig and wrestle and look at it from different things and blast apart and... And sometimes the truth is just laying out for you like walking along a riverbed and seeing a little nugget of gold. Let me show you our passage this morning. 2 Peter 1, 10 through 15 looks like this. Now let me show you what just jumps out to me at least. Here are some words that jump out. Verse 10, confirm. Verse 12, remind. Verse 13, reminder. Verse 15, recall. Can we kind of see where this passage is going? Can we kind of see some of the central truth that's, that's bubbling up from here? By sheer repetition, we see that Peter's calling us to remember some things. Now, this all follows verse 9, where he calls people nearsighted and blind, those who have forgotten. Forgotten what? Forgotten this fundamental, simple, Christian 101 idea that you were cleansed from your past sins. Look at verse 9. So when he's talking about forgetting and reminding, you can see where he's going with this. I told you in the overview of the the whole letter a few weeks ago that Peter was fixed on reminding. At the end of the letter, he says this in 3.17, Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men 
and fall from your secure position. Since you already know this, that means you may not be getting a whole lot of brand new things. Why is Peter so bent on giving all these past history lessons, pointing them out that they're examples, reminding us of things? Here's the answer. Because parenting is, according to a few weeks ago in this room, somewhere in the realm of 90 to 98% of reminding your children to walk in what they already know, to simply obey what they already know. It's not incessantly giving them new information, but calling them to walk in what they already know. That's why parents tend to sound like broken records, right? Because there's this constant heart to keep putting it back on that. You know what I'm doing right now? I'm employing a method that every teacher uses. It's called review. You know what review is? Review is putting back in front of your mind what you already heard. This is from two weeks ago. We're going to keep doing this. Why? Because that's how we learn this repetition, this, this reminding that goes on. Look at the motivation for reminding here in Peter. And this is really important. He says, dear friends, isn't it possible to remind people and become uh, uh, from, from a motivation of being a know-it-all or a nag or somehow make it condescending? Well, you know. No, no, no. Instead, Peter's motivation, and my heart for you this morning is this. It's out of love. It's that you're my dear friends. I really want you to get this, Peter's saying. And so he reminds the readers of some things. We're in chapter 1 this week, and this too is by way of reminder. We're going to keep coming back to these three icons. The three icons are visual, catch this, reminders, so that we can see those visual learners out there that you could see. I really hope and pray that three years from now, you look at Second Peter, and if you think about a trumpet, you could grab onto the fact that chapter 3 is about the Lord's coming back. It's the day of the Lord. There's going to be a trumpet blast. And are we living ready for that? Chapter 1 is all about guarding your own life. So there's the life ring up there. As the passage we looked at, so that you won't fall from your secure position. In chapter 1, Peter's concerned that, that you make your calling and election sure. And he's really urgent about this because he knows that people forget and he knows that his own life is coming to a close. Now, I don't know when the last time it was that you forgot something, but sometimes being forgetful can be funny. Sometimes it's mildly to extremely inconvenient. And sometimes it's actually devastating. How many of you are prone, and you're allowed to point, kids, how many of you are prone to forgetting your glasses on your forehead? Let me see your hands or let me see pointing happening. All right, admit it, loud and proud, right? You're looking around, where are my glasses, right? And everyone in your family, people that know you are like, check the main spot that you like to leave them. Oh, here they are, right? That's just kind of mildly funny for the rest of us, not really for you. Um, but it also can be really debilitating. Coming down with Alzheimer's disease is frightening. All of a sudden, you don't know who's a friend and who's a foe. You can't remember what you're doing in the last five minutes, much less what your purpose in life is or who you even are. That's really debilitating. One of the ways that you guard your own life is simply to remember. Now, we have a little bit of an ongoing battle in our house um, of old school and new school. Some of you like to remind yourself by technology that's 
thousands of years old. You know, tying a string around your finger, um, paper, uh, pencil or pen. And you like to jot notes places, right? And that helps you remember. Others of you have moved on to apps and alarms. Um, I'm really uh, thrilled that I can set to my personal assistant to remind me of things before I leave work. And then as I start to get in the car, it's like, oh, did you remember this? I'm like, no, thank you very much, right? And so these little apps cause us to to remember and and be reminded of some really important things. It's kind of fascinating to me that, that, that that some really, really important information that we would all say is vital at some season in life can easily be forgotten if we don't use it. Have you heard the term use it or lose it? It's the idea that if you don't constantly put something into practice, you'll forget it. Here's an illustration. Raise your hand if you've been CPR certified right now. Okay, I've been CPR certified a couple of times. Now, put your hands down. How many of you, with 100% certainty, if I needed CPR right now, you would know the current up-to-date training on that, and you would jump in in a moment's notice? Raise your hand. Okay, here's the reason. You've either reviewed recently, or you use it, or you got certified this last weekend, right? (laughs) Here's what's powerful about that, though. You were taught that. It was modeled for you. You then did it. You were then tested on it. I mean, that's how you learn. You, you went through every step of how to learn something, right? And then you were signed off. If the person was doing their job, and I hope they are because I might need you someday, then you were signed off that you are now CPR certified. And yet of all those hands that went on, only a handful said, yeah, I would jump in and do it. Why? Because the rest of us aren't using it. That's really vital information if there's an emergency on Monday afternoon, right? But we've forgotten it because we haven't been reviewing it. We leak. Is that true? Yes, it is. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 10. Follow along. I'm going to read 10 to 15. This is our passage this morning. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are, are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. If reminding is simply putting once again in front of somebody's mind, calling to attention, bringing it back from their memory, what is it that Peter is wanting to spotlight in this passage? Well, we can't look at just 10 to 15. That's how cults are formed, right? When you just look at a section of Scripture, you need to kind of look at the whole context. But if you grab chapter 1, and as you kind of zoom in on 10 to 15, what you see is this. He is wanting us as Christians. He's wanting his readers, and thereby extension, us who are disciples to follow, to be assured of their salvation. He wants them to walk the Christian life in security. One of the reasons that so many Christians are insecure of their salvation is, catch this, they neither read nor obey the Bible. Unless you think 
Dave, that sounds like a cliche preacher answer that has to be too simple. I, I reiterate what I started with. There's really nothing new to say. I'm not here to give you a new technique. When people say I've got three easy things for only three easy payments of $19.95 on how to change, don't believe them. That's not true. People who are insecure of their salvation either don't read and know the Bible or they don't obey it. And both are necessary to walk in security. Let me show you a few things pulled out from our passage that just are laid out plain truths of the scripture about the fact that, um, that God is accomplishing things in our midst. Here's, here's Romans 8. Romans 8.31 says this, If God is for us, who can be against us? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was, who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, goes on to say that not anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Plain, simple truth laid out for us. Let me give you another one. Philippians 1.6 For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it, until the day of Christ Jesus. One more, Jesus talking. John, chapter 10, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Are these rich truths to memorize and walk in church? Say yes. Absolutely. Are those three passages hard to understand? No. This is the plain scripture set out for us. So when Peter says, make your calling and election sure, he wants you to be assured of your salvation. Now, there's a second component to this that's also in plain sight. And that is a safeguard to those who would want to pursue what some people might call easy believism. Easy believism is this. You're at a crusade, a Billy Graham crusade. You're, you get a tract, and it sounds really scary to go to hell. Uh, you get convicted or a near-death experience, and you go, wow, I've done a lot of cruddy stuff. If any of this is true, I better kind of put an insurance card in and throw up a quick prayer to God. Jesus, if you're real, I'm going to put my trust in you. It's lip service. There's no real heart behind it. There's no genuine belief behind it. It's just words. Let me show you in each of these passages the safeguard to those who would simply believe without acting on that belief. Here it is. In Romans 8, it says, If God is for us. Romans 8, 1 talks about the Truth, the reality that you must be born of the Spirit to be in Christ Jesus. If you meet those conditions, then that great revelation that nothing will separate you in all of creation from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, is for you. How about the passage in Philippians? In Philippians, Paul's confidence came in, verse, uh, in, in the verse right before it, verse 5, 
He talks about their ongoing participation in the gospel from the first day until now. And that's why he's confident that the God who began a good work in them is going to see it through through to completion. You know why he's confident? He sees fruit of it by their actions. How about the passage Jesus? Jesus offers absolute security and provides a condition. If Jesus is your shepherd, you will follow. You know the shepherd's voice. So when he says, come, you come. When he says, stop, you stop. When he corrects you, you obey that. It's a life of following the shepherd. Confirm your calling and election is what Peter commands to his readers. He wants them secure, assured of their adoption into God's family. You are loved. Believe it. Walk in it. Even when you don't feel it. Even when you doubt it. It's true. Build on this reality. Know it. This is never going to decay. This is never going to change. So the question for you and I sitting here is this. How? What can I do to make my calling and election sure? Here's a couple things you can't do. You can't call yourself. You can't elect yourself from before the foundation of the world. You can't save yourself from your own sin. You can't even keep on the straight and narrow for very long, right? I mean, the Christian life is one of ongoing repentance. God, I'm in need of forgiveness today. I need Thee every hour. I can't even walk for a moment. So it's really clear what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean you're to call, save, or elect yourself. Here's some things that you can do. You can receive. Everyone put your hands like this for just a moment. You know what's so fun having little kids? It's to come home from somewhere and just say, close your eyes and put your hands out. And you know what they do? They immediately trust that I'm not going to give them like a wet banana slug or something. They, they put their hands out and they're like, oh, I can't wait! What's it going to be? Right? And there's peeking going on, all kinds of stuff. You know what you can do as a Christian to make your calling election sure? You can receive. You know what I hope every Sunday is about? I hope it's about receiving. God, we want to, we want to just receive from you. We are always the recipients. Are we going to give God worship? Yes. Are we going to give Him of our resources and our time and our love? Absolutely. Is He going to get all of our attention? I hope so. But guess what? We're always the recipients. So what we can do in making our calling and election sure is we can just receive and keep on receiving. You know what else we can do? We can marvel. And we can wonder at the marvelous truth that we've been given. We can wonder and marvel at the standing that we have before almighty, holy God because of the blood of Jesus Christ. You know what else we can do? We can follow his voice. We can obey. We can supplement our faith with these seven qualities that Ben touched on last week. We can start wrestling with, God, how does that look? Where is that lacking? How do you want me to grow? I want to make every effort as you've called me to. We can also and must yearn and strive and act, not simply believe or give lip service. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, make every effort. Look at verse 10. Be all the more diligent. 
New Living Translation translates it this way. Work hard. Do you see that there's striving going on? If we're striving for the wrong things and for the wrong reasons, we end up in a giant mess. But the Savior is telling us, work hard at this. Make every effort. Be all the more diligent to do this. If these qualities are yours, it's not guaranteed. It's not just osmosis that it just happens. If these qualities are yours and are increasing, what that indicates is that this never ends. You do not arrive, Christian, at perfection, at maturity, this side of heaven. If these qualities are yours and are increasing, is how the passage puts it. Think about it this way. Between who you are right now and who God is making you in to be is, is a certain amount of distance. Now, we don't really know how much distance that is, and it's probably a little different for each person. But you know what represents who you are right now and who God is forming you in to be? This distance right here represents something that's called change. You know what almost all of you don't like? It's change. Even if it's change for the better. Think about the Israelites leaving Egypt, right? They're out in the distance, uh, in, in, the, in the wilderness, and, and they're, they're clamoring for what was comfortable, even though they were slaves and being mistreated. People don't like change. This process of who you are right now and who God is making you into be is the process of sanctification, sometimes called progressive sanctification. Ben did a good job of just laying out faith is the foundation. Now add to that this and add to that this and supplement it with this. And there's a, there's a building that goes on to that. It's progressive. It's happening in increments. This comes down to trust. If God says strive and work hard here and rest and sit tight on that, then it comes down to trust as to whether we'll obey him or not. My mission on many Sundays is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. And Peter's aim in this passage is similar. In verse 12, he essentially says this, my plan, dear friends, is to never leave you alone about this. In verse 14, he says, my time is short. It's been somehow revealed to him. It was prophesied a long time ago by Jesus how he would die. But now it's been revealed that he's going to be dying soon. Verse 14. But as long as I'm around, count on me doing this reminding. And then in verse 15, he says, by the way, I'm working my tail off to make sure that even after I die, you're going to be reminded by me. So I am not going away, even though I'm going away. That's what he's telling the church. The life ring that we have uh, on display is, uh, is quite intentional as we, as we think about guarding our own life. Um. We got to go to Raging Waters this summer. Many, many families in the church bought a Groupon, and we all got to spend some time at Raging Waters. And uh, we had a good time as, as, as a family watching the lifeguards there. I don't know if you caught this, but this was new to me. I've been to Raging Waters before. The way that the lifeguards are trained to, let's say that you're my pool that I'm doing, the lifeguards will do this. They will sit here, and they will essentially look at every point, and they are looking at the whole pool. Okay. Now, when they get 
to this end, do they eat a sandwich? Do they Snapchat? Do they kick back thinking they did a pretty good job? No. You know what they do? Like sprinklers. They go back and they do it again. Now, after, raging, or after Mexico this year, my, my kids got to go to the one in San Dimas. Excellent. And we went to Raging Waters there. And we got a huge kick out of this guy that during the, in the Endless River, his deal was this. He would go like this. And then when he got to his point, he'd go like that. And we were, we, just, we were like sitting there for like five minutes going, that's awesome. I don't know why. That's just mesmerizing. It's like watching a train wreck. But you know what? I want my lifeguards doing that. I want them being vigilant. You know why? Because I've got a lot of kids, and a couple of them can't swim very good. So, so if one of them's underwater, man, I want that lifeguard doing that over and over and over, vigilant. And even watching kind of the changing of the guards was kind of interesting to watch that. Eyes never left the pool. That's what a lifeguard is supposed to do. You are the lifeguard in chapter 1. There's other places in Scripture where you're being guarded, right? Jesus is our lifeguard. We could go all kinds of metaphors. But in chapter 1, you are to guard your life. You're to keep watch on it. In this passage, you're to make your, your calling and election sure. So how does that happen? Let me tell you some things that you have in Christ. And as a lifeguard, as you guard your life, remind yourself of these things. And you don't need to write these down because they're already written down. They've been written down for a couple thousand years. Here it is. You have a faith equal to what the apostles had in Christ. In Christ, you have grace and peace multiplied to you. In Christ, you have all that you need for this life and for godliness. In Christ, you are partakers of divine nature. In Christ, you have escaped corruption and been cleansed from all past sins. In Christ, you're effective and fruitful. In Christ, you live in expectant hope, knowing that your entrance into Jesus' eternal kingdom is secured for you. And guess what, friends? We're only partway through chapter 1. Lifeguards, listen up. Remind yourself of these things. Think on these things. Talk about these things. Write songs about these things. Ruminate. Ponder. Discuss them. This is your life. This is what you have in Christ. Take inventory of it often. Genuine assurance is God's gift through the Holy Spirit to obedient believers. Let me say that again. Genuine assurance is God's gift through the Holy Spirit to obedient believers. Listen to 1 John 3. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before Him. Friends, the accusations are going to come. They may be pouring on heavy this week. Some are from Satan, the accuser of the brethren. Some are external. You call yourself a Christian. Some are internal. Your own heart doubts and questions. Genuine assurance is gifted to you through the Holy Spirit as you read and know the Bible 
and live it out. That's how you make your calling and election sure. Who's Peter talking to in all of this, by the way? Look at verse 12. He's talking to people who he says, though you know them, meaning these truths, and are established in the truth that you have. These aren't brand newbie baby Christians. These are Christians who've been given the truth and are established in it. They're walking in it already. Still, they are to grow in this. Verse 8, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing. If you're sitting in here, you'd never say this out loud, by the way. But if you're sitting in here this morning and you think that you've arrived, you're in danger. If you're sitting in here this morning and you're comfortable, friends, you're in danger. If you're sitting in here and you hold your maturity over others, you are in grave danger. And it's really common and easy to get to that place. I want to propose some new terminology around NBC this morning, okay? Oftentimes, churches talk about immature and mature. And uh, there was a guy that uh, pastors a church of 12,000 people down in uh, Southern California by the name of Tom Mercer. He was a speaker at a Hume Lake pastor's conference that Ben and uh, I and our wives got to go to recently. And he was asked by someone, how many uh, of your 12,000, how many are mature believers? You know what his answer was? Zero. And I said, oh, Tom, we think you maybe you misheard us. Um, how many are mature? He said, we don't have any mature believers. And they said, huh? And he goes, let me, let me tell you what we have. We don't have any immature believers. We don't have any mature believers. In fact, we've done away with that altogether, and we've come up with a brand new term. We only have maturing believers. That's the only kind that we have at our church. I love that. I love it because it strips away the pride or the shame, depending on which category you might end up on that, right? It takes away the the haves and the have-nots. It keeps us from somehow thinking we've arrived. Paul hadn't laid hold of it yet. He was an apostle. He wrote much of the New Testament. Do you have him beat? Probably not. Okay, if he hasn't arrived yet, if he hasn't laid hold of it yet, can we just agree that we haven't either? So, church, catch me on this. If I go into mature or immature mode, let's change the language. Let's change the culture around here. We don't have that anymore. We have maturing disciples. If you became a Christian five minutes ago, praise God, you're a maturing disciple. You're right here now, and there's a person God's making you into be. If you've been a Christian for 30 years, praise God, you're a maturing disciple. That keeps us from getting comfortable. Keeps us hungry to grow. All right. How do we apply this this morning? First, you find out if you're in Christ. What kind of evidence stacks up in your favor if someone accuses you of not being a Christian? If all you've got is, I prayed a prayer once, I'd venture to say you're not a Christian. That's all you got? If there's no other evidence in your life? Now, if that happened five minutes ago, okay. I get that there's not a lot of fruit that's going to come in five minutes of trusting in Christ. Let you off the hook. But you know what? God's, God's got a hold of his people. If Jesus is your shepherd, then, then you hear his voice and 
You follow him. You obey him to where, where he tells you to go. So your life starts to look different. Do you know and walk out in the truths that are laid out here? If so, you're a Christian. You're in Christ. Do you live and experience these things that, that is said that if you are in Christ, you have these things? If so, then you're in Christ. If you are not in Christ, don't think that righteousness comes from starting to work on this list. That's one of the biggest fallacies that's out there. Just start striving and working hard. I heard the preacher say it today. Be all the more diligent. Work really hard. Make every effort. I guess i got to get after these seven virtues. Wrong. That's not the righteousness that comes from God. That's the righteousness that mankind has tried for centuries to reach up and be forgiven, acquitted of their sin. Dismiss their guilt by all the good that they've done to somehow make up for it. It's a fallacy. It's a lie. Don't build on that. If you are in Christ, be assured of your salvation and then catch this, church, rest in that truth. It would be tragic if I have both biological and adoptive kids. It would be tragic if either my biological or my adoptive kids wrestled day in and day out with whether they belonged in our family, whether they were truly a Carlson, whether they really had a seat at this table or not. Would it not? So what am I going to do as a loving parent? I'm going to reassure them. I want that one settled. I want them to walk in the absolute, utter knowledge that that will never change as long as I live. That's what God wants for his children. You may need to revisit this periodically, maybe every couple years, maybe a big thing throws you for a loop. It's okay to revisit it. But once you revisit it, man, you ought to, you ought to be uh, assured of that and rest in that. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Do you hear that? Transformed. Who you are, who God's making you into be. Changes, progressive sanctification going on. How's it say to do it? Strive and work really hard at being like Jesus? No. It actually says change your mind. Remind yourself of some things. Let me ask you this. How diligently do you listen to the preaching of God's word? How diligently do you read God's word, study God's word, memorize God's word? Meditate on God's word and obey God's word. I can answer how sure you are of your salvation by your answers to those questions. I think if you are doing all of those diligently, I can look at you and say, I'm almost 99% certain that you're totally assured of your salvation. Am I right? A person who's walking that lifestyle says, you better believe it. I know that beyond the shadow of a doubt. Alex, how sure of you are, you, are, are, are you of your salvation? 100%. I knew that answer was coming. He's not 98%. He's not in the 40s this week. He's 100%. And it's not based on how his week's gone. <clears throat> All right. Let me invite the band up. We have a little campaign going on right now. It's, uh, it's fall. And so we've restarted up community groups, some of whom have taken a break for the summer. And the little tagline for it is, Life Happens Here. And the point is this, that Thursday night for me and the guys that meet in our group is a really key, critical time. In fact, I'd call it kind of like a life ring. It's a lifeline to our week to get together. Sometimes we need to borrow strength from one another because it's been a rotten week. Sometimes we're the ones there just pointing out, reminding the brothers of some simple truths so that we don't forget. But life doesn't always happen, doesn't often happen, frankly, from 7 to 8.30 on Thursday nights. That's not the only place life happens. 
It happens here, right, in all these different settings. So our CGs, our community groups, are to be like a springboard for us to nurture these kinds of relationship. One of the ways this happens in the church is that you, one another, are pouring into each other the truth of God. I was talking with a friend of mine recently. And she was talking about a kind of a failed witnessing attempt. She said, here I had this open door to share Christ. And I didn't. I blew it. I kind of clammed up and gave a short little answer. And she recounted how her heart rate was starting to increase and she was starting to feel nervous and, and she just didn't do it. And you know, what I, you, know what I, you know what I poured into her in that moment? I said this. I agree with you that that was kind of a wimpy witness. You kind of bailed out on it. I, I get that. I've been there. But isn't it great that your heart, reading, your, your, your heart rate increased? Isn't it great that there were these physiological changes that went on in you? You know what that's telling me? This really matters to you. You really care about this. This is really important. That's a good thing. Now, don't stop there. Don't just feel good about that and cop out on being a witness next time. But know that the Holy Spirit produces that in you. Spiritually, you see it because you're born again. If you're of the flesh, you're like, yeah, I read the Bible, I do this or that, and you go on with your day, you don't care one bit. The fact that this person was actually feeling kind of miserable about how bad she did at that witnessing opportunity was a great sign. That's community groups. That's the brothers and sisters coming around and saying, can I just point out the divine nature that I see going on in you this week? I know you're under attack. I know you're doubting. I know you're really struggling. Man, brother, I need to tell you this. I see this coming out in your life, and I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray that God conquers those. I'm going to pray that God increases your faith. But I see the divine nature in you. In just a second, we're going to pass out the communion elements. And uh, what I would ask is this. I would ask for you to hang on to those elements, and Jim, one of our elders, is going to come and lead us in just a moment. But what did Jesus leave communion for but as a remembrance, right? Remember me. By these two physical, tangible things that you actually consume, and they become part of your body, and you can't possibly separate the, the particles once you consume them, that's you and me. Remember me. Think on this. Remind one another of what I've done. This sacrament is for Christians. It's for people who are in Christ. To do it apart from being in Christ just kind of makes it a religious ritual. There's, there's not meaning to it there. So my invitation this morning would be this. As the tray comes by, Take it and hold it. And even as we sing right now, remind yourself, remember Jesus Christ as you hold the element.